This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. After hearing the universal pronouncement of God's care and judgment in Isaiah, we now see the response of the prophet to what could lie ahead. Yeah, so it was a few weeks ago by now. Um, so it's it's worth pausing and reminding ourselves. or I mean, I don't know about going back and listening to it all over again, but we had this episode, this last episode a few weeks ago, Isaiah content-wise, where... We dove into just all those woes, um, the burdens, as we titled the episode. Um, God seeing every nation, Egypt and Babylon and Philistia and Moab and Jerusalem. And he just sees and notices all of that. And today's, we're going to cover four chapters today. We're going to do every verse today, Brent. Every verse of four chapters. And oh, my. Yeah, we're going to see. A, what a promise. I know, I know. And we're going to see. We're not going to have to add a whole lot of commentary. Just walking through these and just making some basic commentary, I think it's going to teach us something valuable in today's perspective. Um, we've titled this episode, The Choice is Yours. And by the time we're done, hopefully that title will make a little bit more sense. So uh, we got plenty to read. Just go ahead and, and let's jump into chapter 24. We, we immediately work against that title. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, notably, not in quotation marks. It will be the same for priest as for people, for the master as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer. For borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor, the earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. Yeah, I feel like that's an interesting way to say that at the end. Instead of saying, says the Lord, the Lord has spoken this word. That is unusual, isn't it? As you said it, my brain kind of noticed that too. And I have nothing to say about that. But like, as you, as I heard it come out of your mouth, I was like, man, that is a weird phrase. Very atypical phrase. I'm sure the um, multi-author hypothesis people would probably jump all over that and say, see, it's evidence that there's a different writer using different kinds of phrasing and languages. Or as as Boyd would say, it's uh, it's that it's that crack in the in the story here where we see, you know, the true nature of God breaking through. It's not he oh, didn't yeah. actually say yeah, it. Yeah. But it's just that that's that little hint. Sure. That uh that something else is going on. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like this serves as almost a capstone to last episode's conversation. Like last episode, we looked at, at this nation, this na- like a whole list, like literally a table. We had a table of all the nations that are addressed and all the different prophets. And this is kind of like this overarching capstone. The earth will be laid waste. I would assume as I read chapter 24, I don't hear chapter 24 saying, except for Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was amongst the list. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So so the earth is going to be laid waste. Uh, there will be no more social status order. There's no more priest and, and lay person. There's no, all these, all these, you know, which category do I, all the categories are obliterated. The earth has been laid waste. That's what we just spent 10 chapters hearing. That that is the reality that we see around us, perhaps as people hear these words from the prophets. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, how does this relate to the language in uh, Genesis nine? But Genesis nine says that never again will life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, 
it's like, wait a minute, didn't God say that he wouldn't destroy the earth? Says specifically, he wouldn't destroy it by flood. So you know, God's in the clear. We got this. <laughs> the prophets would be real big on the fine print of Genesis. I think. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, okay. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. The new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The joyful timbrels are stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. Yeah, so uh, that feels to me, uh, I don't feel like there's too much ambiguity in that. Uh, in, in the prophecy we're reading so far in chapter 24 here, Brent, seems pretty, pretty clear. Um, Earth is devastated. This is, uh, things are pretty desolate. Men are guilty. They have sinned. I don't think there's a whole lot of like, I'm not lacking clarity. I would, I, would, I would phrase it that way. Right. Yeah. They have disobeyed the laws. They have broken the covenant. I mean, that, I, don't, I don't know if that's actually like, I don't know how strong that language is, but they have broken the everlasting covenant. It feels like just the most. Yeah. Just the strongest condemnation yeah. I could think of. Yeah, it, it's the it's the perfect capstone to ten chapters worth of of and and I would assume it's not even the Sinai covenant. I would assume it's the Noahic covenant. I find it really interesting that you thought of the story of Noah at this point because I I think the everlasting covenant. Like, what was the first everlasting covenant we heard of? But the covenant of Noah with all of creation, and that mm-hmm. all the nations have transgressed a covenant that God made with. With all of creation. So so clarity here, but let's go ahead and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It says that in 916, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Yep. It's like, yep, that's that's it. I mean, yeah, I think it's so it's so weird because I think I would have I think I would have read this, you know, on its own and just thought like, oh, this is I don't I yeah, just just being able to step back and see who the audience is, who is being addressed. Yeah, there's just so many assumptions that you make when you It's true. When you don't look at the full context of it. And yeah, and that totally is. That's what it's talking about. Yep. Okay. In the streets they cry out for wine, all joy turns to gloom, all joyful sounds are banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins, its gate is battered to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten, or as when gleanings are left after the grape harvest. They raise their voices, they shout for joy. From the west they acclaim the Lord's majesty. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. Which I I find to be an interesting insertion here. So we've gotten some pretty clear... and. Pretty some clarity, as I called it earlier, and and yet here all of a sudden somebody is raising their voices and shouting for joy. I don't know who, but somebody is. Um, it, which is almost oh, the like west, the east, the islands. It kind of seems like it's everywhere. Yeah, sure, and and I think it's maybe a, a seed, a hint at where we're going to head in the next few chapters. But I, it doesn't last for long. Go ahead and keep reading. See, let's see what the prophet says here. But I said. 
I waste away. I waste away. Woe to me. The treacherous betray with treachery. The treacherous betray. Terror and pit and snare await you, people of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are opened. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is violently shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know who's shouting for joy. The prophet's not at this point. <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah, right. I don't know if it's creation um, because creation has been groaning under the weight of the injustice and the lack of shalom. It sounds to me like I don't know if it's the oppressed, those that are marginalized, those that have been experiencing nonstop abuse and um, exploitation and corruption. If they're shouting, it, it doesn't really tell us, but we're, we're very quickly back into the prophet saying, it's not me. I waste away. I, I'm a part of the problem, perhaps, that solidarity that Reed spoke of at the beginning of the series. But go ahead and keep reading. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. All right. So we read that as a capstone to the last episode, as a capstone to to 10 chapters of woe and judgment and and burdens. And at the end of that chapter, I'm not sure I'm with I'm with the prophet. I don't feel like I'm a part of the crowd shouting for joy. Like, as I get to the end of that chapter, I'm like, okay, so so where, if I pause for a moment without looking to the next chapter and the next subtitle, like, how, where, where do I sit? Like, where, I, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm despairing. Like, I, I am, well, what hope is there? Like, where, like, I, I'm, like, do we give up? What, where, and yet the next chapter, which I've always just kind of looked at and I've always just chalked it up to. Well, this is just a different, I mean, this might have been three years later. And what's what's the next chapter subtitle for you, say, Brent? Chapter tw- or chapter 25. Praise to the Lord. What? <laughs> I don't know. Go, go, ahead and, go ahead and give us some of that, and we'll, we'll talk about it as we go. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin. The foreigner's stronghold, a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. That doesn't sound that doesn't sound so wonderful so far. No kidding. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall. And like the heat of the desert, you silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. All right, so I feel like we get some insight all of a sudden because this isn't. So I used to always read this and be like, "Ah, oh, this must have been something." Isaiah saw something and it made him shout out and praise. Like three years later, we're done with the old stuff. Now this is like a weird insertion of hope. I, I think I even said in like session two, you know, always a sprinkling, a little dash of hope. But this isn't a da- like an out of nowhere dash of hope. This is. Isaiah, very much in the moment of what we just got done reading in chapter 24, 
because he talks about the ruined city. He talks about the desolation. And he says, but it's good news to the poor. It's good news to those who needed refuge. It's good news to those who are looking for respite. It's good news to those who are struggling under the boot of injustice. And so, and so he breaks out in praise because God's judgment is what this world needs, particularly for a group of people that were just on the wrong end of the power pyramid. Boy, do they need that this, this is provoking praise. Go ahead. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. All right. And yet another phrase, by the way. Yeah. But, but here's, so, so this, all this desolation, all this judgment, all this, the word we often love to use, wrath. All this wrath is necessary, apparently, in Isaiah's perspective in this moment, in order for him to make right the earth. And this is a part of God's redemptive work in the world. There are people rejoicing because he is creating a world where there will be a rich banquet for all people to be invited. For like this thing we're going through, the utter despair and desolation and destruction is... Something has to die in order for something to live. Like we would talk about this in the New Testament in terms of resurrection. Like in order for there to be redemption, in order to be there to be resurrection, there has to be death in order for something to be raised to a new life. And that's, we see that even in the pages of Isaiah. Keep going. In that day, they will say, surely this in what is... Day? In what day, Brett? <laughs> in that day of redemption, I guess. Yeah, of of on the heels of as the smoke is still rising, as the... Like in the in the smoldering rubble, in the desolation, in that day, go ahead. In that day, they will say, "Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him, and He saved us." And did they did they trust? They ran away before the sword got to them. And see, this is why I think that voice isn't the people that this isn't the leaders that ran away. This isn't the people of Judah. This is the people that were under the boot. Yeah, yeah. And they're rejoicing. And I I think that voice is important. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. That's quite a quite a picture. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground, to the very dust. I don't want to stop you. Just keep on moving into chapter 26. Keep going. In that day, this song will be sung. In that day, Brent, in that same day, like Isaiah is still cooking. He's like, oh man, I've got I, I, he's not even done. He's like, there's still more. And that day, go ahead. That, that was a real bait and switch, Marty. Just just keep going into 26. Just, <laughs> just I promise, just keep going. <laughs> in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation, its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. 
he levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down. The feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. <sighs> Man, there it is. And and like we're like, I don't know. I, th- I don't, maybe Marty's making. Nope, right there. Bam. Um, and and now the tone, like the tone is starting to shift. Like in in chapter twenty five, it was almost like an observer. That was like a, it was a song of praise that's erupting as he watches. And chapter 26 almost has more of an instructive, like a pastoral tone to it. Like, this is what we need to trust in, everybody. So you're being invited as a, as a hearer, as a reader, as a, as a consumer of this prophecy and this voice of Isaiah. You're being invited to respond to the desolation. How are you going to respond to the desolation? The choice is yours. You could give up hope. You could give up hope. You could just... You just say, ah, well, this is if this is all falling, if this is all going to be destroyed, if this is all just desolation around me, then why would I even? Or you can say, this is what, like, we were not building the sustainable world of shalom that God intended. This this has to be a part of what God's doing in order to rebuild the world that we ought to build, that we want to be a part of. Are we going? The choice is ours. Are we going to be people that plant our feet in hope? Go ahead. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. So again, we have this call to, this call to, um, to a, it's, it's pastoral. It's, it's, it's instructive. This call to like, remember the ways of God the, the, and it doesn't use the words Torah. It doesn't talk about commandments. It falls just short. And yet everything he's talking about, he's shown us the way we know the path of righteousness. Come walk and be a part of rebuilding a good world, the right world. Come be a part of that thing. Go ahead. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Okay, so I stopped you. Sorry, I stopped you a little early there. I got so excited I just jumped in, but... That that's the, the, the proof in the pudding that, that you can look you can look there and see how things have worked out. You can see how the story is unfolding. And again, that, that whole tagline, that title line, the, the choice is ours now. We get to we get to look around. We get to see what survived, what didn't survive. We get to see how that story worked out. All I can ever hear when I say that is Dr. Phil in the back of my mind. And how is that working out for you? Um, we get to see how that worked out for people. Like it didn't, it didn't. That story, that empire building, it's unsustainable. It doesn't work. We get to see that evidence. Keep on rolling. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth, rise and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child. We writhed in labor. 
and we gave birth to wind. You have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. Uh, the earth will conceal its slain no longer. All right. So uh, that man, that one, that one little stanza there. Um, but your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. And I think when we hear that, we're like, oh, look, a prophecy about the resurrection. Sure. But as we've always taught throughout the Bema journey from session two on, please don't race ahead and miss the big thunderous statement being made here by Isaiah. He's planting his feet. He is inviting the nation of God's people to plant their feet in hope. Like this thing that you were doing and building in us, this covenant you made with us, this thing that looks dead because literally the dead are all around us. That story, we plant our feet in hope because it lives on you cannot, God will not, to go back to that story of Noah, God will not destroy this ultimate story. Like, God, this story is going to continue. There will be a remnant. Your dead will rise. And so you hear this poetic description of, I would say, resurrection language. And yet that language, don't race ahead and make it about something later in the story and miss what we have to learn from Isaiah, looking at a landscape of desolation, saying, I know where this story is headed. It's new life. I mean, when you're standing in what he's picturing, that seems ludicrous, ludicrous. And and Isaiah says, but I, I know how this works. And I know what you do. And I know that you love to make beautiful things out of dead things. So that's what's going to happen. And you're going to notice in this next chapter, as you keep reading, it's going to say that phrase again, in that day. I still think he's referring to in this day. Uh, he just got done saying, hide from the Lord's wrath. He's still talking about this desolation, this, the world's falling apart, this thing that would tempt you on one hand to despair. And yet he's saying, this is ultimately going to lead us back to the story we should have been walking in the first place. Go ahead. Before we go on, this makes me wonder if this is why we struggle to apply the Bible to our lives, because we use the vast majority of the Bible in this historical perspective where we can look back on everything that's happened and say like, okay, well, in this moment, this was like all that stuff that came before was talking about this. And, and we don't ever use the Bible to apply to its current place except in just a few little places. And we're always like, okay, so anything that we don't understand now, it must be talking about something else that we haven't seen yet. We're always looking ahead to something else and we're never seeing it for our own like time. And that, I think maybe that's why it seems so like meaningless because it's like, oh, God's just always setting the table for something else and never like, never actually speaking to the current moment. I, I could not agree with you more. I think it's just so well said and at a great moment to say it. I, uh, yes. And I think it's easier. We would be easier. We would be more keen to like pick up on that fact. 
Like we'd be we'd be quicker on the on the draw if we read these things in context that weren't so like if you were to read this in Ukraine right now. I think I think you'd be quicker to be like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I see what's here. I, I see what's here. I see what the prophet is saying. It would take a lot less work if you were if you're standing in a world that you feel like it's just it's just devastation everywhere and everything I knew of is gone. And you hear these words from the prophet and you're thinking, oh, well, that's an invitation. That's just going to land and ring totally differently. I I think you, you couldn't be more right about that observation. Okay. So chapter 27, in that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. All right. So there's the monster of the, and again, like if we take that super literally, it's going to be really tricky to figure out what to do with that stanza. If we see what Isaiah is saying, God is at work slaying, putting to death the things that are evil, putting to death the things that have like, how, how could we ever put this to death? God does. God slays Leviathan. I keep thinking of the book of Job and so many other times where but that, that's the image here, and it's going to be in that day again. Go ahead, Brent. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. Hey, did we hear about a vineyard before, Brent? <laughs> yes. Yeah, in this very prophet in chapter 5. So, again, these callbacks, there will be a big callback later, in the, but Isaiah is going to keep calling back to this this image and this picture that he utilized to say, this is what God's trying to do. God hasn't given up on that vision. It's still the thing that God's going to do. God's not forsaking his vineyard. He's, he, he started all over. He plowed up the ground, he, but he's still doing the vineyard thing. So love it. And here's a little bit, a little, another crack, another uh, element of God breaking through. He says, I am not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me. I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes. Let them make peace with me, which is so like another weird, like twist. Cause it's like, aren't we talking about briars and thorns? Like, are they going to make peace with God? I don't know that. Yeah. This paying attention to the language is so interesting when you get into the nitty gritty. Yep. Yep. Cause you just got done saying in chapter five, I'm going to tear down the hedge and the wall. And briars and thorns will grow there. Well, that's certainly what he's just done for the last 20 chapters. Yeah. So now he's saying, well, I'm, I'm doing my vineyard thing and I, I wish this were a problem, but they're not going to be a problem. Like, watch this. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Has the Lord struck her as he struck down those who struck her? Has she been killed as those who were killed who killed her? Okay. (laughs) Has the Lord struck her as he struck down those who struck her? Has she been killed as those who were killed, who killed her? (laughs) This seems like there's got to be a better way to say that. Uh, By warfare and exile, you contend with her. With his fierce blast, he drives her out. As on a day, the east wind blows. By this, then, will Jacob's guilt be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin, when he makes all the altar stones to be like limestone crushed to pieces, no Asherah poles or incense altars will be left standing. 
the fortified city stands desolate, an abandoned settlement forsaken like the wilderness. There the calves graze, there they lie down, they strip its branches bare. When its twigs are dry, they are broken off, and women come and make fires with them. For this is a people without understanding. So their maker has no compassion on them, and their creator shows them no favor. So this is like the opposing vision. Talk about a value of vision. We referenced that earlier. Like this is the the opposing vision to all the desolation that we see is a world where God's people are responding the way they're... God is planting a vineyard. They are bearing fruit. That means there will be no Asherah poles. There's not going to be any idolatry. We're not building our own empires. All the things are in their proper place. This is the kind of beautiful poetic vision that the prophets continually paint about what the world to come looks like. Like we're always so enamored with like the theology of heaven and hell. The pictures that the Bible paints is of a world where everything is as it's supposed to be. Not so much in a literal sense, like that's literally what's going to happen, this literal happening in the future. But this is the poetic, prophetic picture of what it looks like when we do the things, when we say yes to the invitation, when we plant our feet in hope. It looks like it looks like this. And these pictures are always of all the things in their proper place, people under their own vine and their own fig tree. No need for weapons of war, beating our swords into plowshares. Like that image is what the prophets love to paint. The, the, the predator lying down with the prey, shalom, like everything in its proper place. And so the prophet is trying to say, you do have a choice. Like the choice is yours. What we do here will determine what future we're a part of. Despair is not going to build a new world. Uh, hope will build a new. What was the quote I just saw this week? Something about how I think somebody sent. I think it was Jim sent me a, um, maybe sent all of us a, a little a quote from Jonathan Rabbi Jonathan Sachs about it takes courage to build a new world in the midst of destruction. Like when everything is falling, has fallen apart around you. When you don't see much hope, it takes courage. One of the most courageous things you can do is look in the face of despair and say, hand me a shovel. Um, like, I, I loved that image of courage. The choice is ours. The choice to say hope, the choice to say yes to hope will be a choice that will take some courage. But we got one last little bit. Brent, read us that last little bit. In that day, the Lord will thresh from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, Israel, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day, a great trumpet will sound, Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. All right. So God's putting his world back together and he uses the image of harvest, just like Jesus does in all of his parables, just like the New Testament does routinely. And the authors of the the New Testament do. These images they're pulling from the prophets. Isaiah talks about an image of, of harvest. God stands and he threshes and the threshing floor is the land of his people from the Euphrates. What did it say from the Euphrates to the Wadi of Egypt, the Wadi of Egypt, like that's going to be his threshing floor and God's God's harvesting. And there's going to be plenty that's going to be taken and destroyed and thrown into the fiery furnace to use Jesus's language from the gospels. But there's also going to be the harvest that is taken up, that is picked up. That's going to, that's going to be put into the barn because it's the good stuff. It's the grain. It's what God wants to find. It's the fruit to use the image of the vineyard. And, and, uh, and these are the images that the prophets use. So 
Um, I think the mistake that I've always made in the past is I read these passages of hope and they they seem so odd when they sit next to 10 chapters of desolation that my brain always just kind of went, oh, yep, just kind of a sprinkling of hope, like just somebody dropping some hope in there. Doesn't really belong, doesn't fit. And what I'm starting to realize is actually the, these passages of hope do fit. I mean, I think you said in that day like seven times, like these passages of hope are directly connected to the day of desolation because we have to make a decision what we really believe about who God is and what God is up to in the world. And uh, and and there you go, in that day. And I love the individuality of it. Sure. Like in that day, you will be gathered up one by one. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yep. And it's just like... I, I mean the same the same context of like yeah God is actually he's looking at all of the nations but he's also looking at all of the individual people like there's nobody outside of the care of the Lord yep just great absolutely all right I think that's another good conversation today okay I like I like where we're leaving it that it's, it's so much more hopeful than the last <laughs> We left we left we left the last episode and then had an interview and then Thanksgiving. We've been we've been sitting on some woe. We've been sitting with some burdens for a few weeks now, so it's good to get that off our get that off our shoulders. We're not out of the woods, but uh, you know, we can see we can see a little bit of light breaking through, which is nice. So Absolutely. All right, everyone can go to baymonoception.com to find uh, show notes. I don't know, we, we didn't even have anything in the show notes for this episode, but you know. Who knows? Maybe something will come up and we'll add it there. But all of all of the episodes are there. All of those links are there. You can find groups. You can find events. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what, uh, you know, if you're listening to this in real time, we've got uh, 2024 coming up quickly and we'll probably have some stuff planned. So yeah, check all that out. Yep. It's all on the website. Um, the best way to get in touch with us. All of those things are there. So thanks for joining us on the Baymo podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. 